The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Good morning, friends, and welcome to the Source of Truth podcast. And we are so glad you're with us this morning and are finishing out the week together with us as we have spent our first week in the book of Ruth. And today we're going to finish up the first chapter. And I hope it's, I hope it's been a help and encouragement. I'll be honest, sometimes books like the book of Ruth are ones that, are, if I can use the term, they're not as popular as other books. And uh, for whatever reason, and, and, and frankly, I've heard some say because it's written predominantly about a female, um, either way, there's just, you know, I think sometimes we miss some, some amazing truths when we uh, skip what some of smaller books, especially in the Old Testament. And I tell you, I, I really absolutely love the teaching behind this book. When we talk about the Kinsey Redeemer, I love uh, the picture of Christ throughout this book. I love the, um, the fact that we see all of the grace of God and the grace of Jesus that's given in spite of so many things. And today, we're going to look at a very unique section of this passage. When I say unique, um, and again, I've heard this. This is one of those. I've heard this dwelt with and, 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 and kind of spoken on us in multiple different ways, in ways that um, some of them I just don't think fit what God's trying to teach us here in this passage. I hope we can be a help and, and, and clarify of if you've ever studied this out. Um, one of the big things I see here, I've heard people do it, I've read commentators' books on the bitter Naomi, and that in this section we're going to look at is how bitter Naomi was. And I hope we're going to see some things that help us get a better understanding of Naomi's thinking and understanding of how maybe a little bit of God's working in this. Uh, So let's go ahead, but I I will say this. When we finish, there is always, as Jesus always does in the midst of our hardest times, there's a level of grace and hope, and we will see that as we get to the end of this passage. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. So they too, this is Naomi and Ruth, two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. For the, Lord, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So first of all, I will say one thing interesting in culture. Um, the word Mara, we look at it as, okay, well, you know, Hebrew word, we translate it bitter, but it'd be no different than if you were to walk up to someone and say, hey, hey, Rodney, how you doing? No, 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 call me bitter. Um, that's literally what it would mean. And one of the unique things about names uh, more in Bible days, especially in the Old Testament, names established as much identity about who the people were and what they were doing than it was necessarily who there's just, just to identify them. For instance, in the New Testament, Jesus came from an Old Testament um, word that, that really identified who he was, Jesus the Savior, uh, really identified who he was. So it's more than just a name that fit the culture of the day. Um, this, uh, this was a description. They often use names to describe themselves. So let's go back to Jacob. Jacob, the, excuse me, the name Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. Later, he becomes called Israel, the blessed one. And so the moment 
his mindset changed the moment he met with God and was wrestling with God and said, listen, I'm going a different direction. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm serious about this. God changed his name. God changed his identity. God changed what he would be known for. And then everyone else, we call them the children of Israel. They're literally children of Jacob, the 12 tribes. So we look at this and we see a name change. And we see that she says, listen, don't call me Naomi call me bitter, or shall we say, don't recognize me from what you knew me before we left. Recognize me now for all that I've gone through. So let's, uh, let's, let me, let me, let me look at a couple things here as we go through there. Well, I really what I want to look at is, so some people want to say in this passage, Naomi says, I am bitter. And um, let me encourage you that I'm, I'm not personally convinced that Naomi is saying, I am very bitter against God or very bitter against these things. He says, call me bitter because I have been dealt with poorly. Basically, life and God and whatever, what he said, the Almighty has treated me bitterly. I have had dealt a bitter hand, so just call me bitter because that's what's happened to me. There's no 100% guarantee to say that she came home saying, I am bitter. She says, listen, I, I've had a miserable time since we've left. So let's evaluate that for a minute. Um, first of all, I have a simple question. Has she had a miserable, bitter time since she left? Well, she leaves due to a famine, more than likely, moves down to a land where she would not recognize the culture, would not recognize the religious, would not recognize the worship, and following her husband, being dedicated to her husband, followed what she probably knew was going against God's perfect will to go down there. And going against what God had said, stay in the promise. And, but please understand, you say, oh, she should have stayed, she would have been fine. They were in the middle of a famine. So if they were in the middle of a famine, you say they lost three people. They, who's to say they wouldn't have died in Israel? I, I want us to understand that. This famine, when you have famines, you, you in pretty bad big deals. You have people who, a lot of people who died during this. This was their financial economy. This was their food. So please understand that people immediately say, just stay home, they would have been fine. We don't know that because famines were often God's punishment upon the people. And so therefore, there's a possibility they would have. And, and please remember, they were probably worshiping the wrong gods anyway to be in famine. So a lot of these things, remember, take that into account. So she goes down and she follows her husband. And when she gets there, shortly, you know, her husband's married, and you know, maybe they thought they were going to stay there forever, but whatever, she might not have been 100% comfortable. We don't know. But her husband's, her son married. But ultimately what happens is her husband dies, both her sons die, and she inherits two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Both of them, who we just talked about yesterday, had an amazing relationship with her. But here's the thing we look at. I, I've met people who have lost loved ones, what I consider to be at an early age. They've lost brothers or sisters or children, that's even worse. Things of that nature where, you know, when, when, we, when we fill our age, when I'm, when I'm old in age and I go home, I hope people recognize that, you know, I'm done, I'm ready to go home. But, you know, when I've known people who have been taken home in their 20s and 30s and 40s and maybe 50s, and it's just so young. And maybe 60s, but taken home for the fulfillment of their life. Those around them, I mean, it, it changes you. It changes your view of so many things, of life, of your own health, things of that nature. It just changes you. So she didn't just lose one. She lost everything. She lost her husband, who she was dedicated to. She lost her two sons, who were, were a part of the union of her and her husband. She left full. She left, yes, she left a home of famine. She left full. She left with a marriage. She left with children. She left a family. She left with everything you could possibly want. And many people say, listen, if I could just have a good home, a good home and, and some children and just enjoy that, I have everything I could want. And I would agree with that. I mean, God has blessed me with a great home, a great wife, great children. 
and, and I, I, my cup is full. And then I get to serve God in ministry and I get to do this right here. My cup is full. But I can't imagine losing all of it at one time. I, here's an example. I'm trying to see it from her point of view. A very, really sad story years ago. I don't remember how long ago this was. Um, there was a story, and I want to say it was in Minnesota. And the reason I say that is my mom mentioned to me, uh, as we would drive to Minnesota where she grew up, uh, we had driven over this particular bridge we'll mention here in a second more than, you know, before. So apparently, if I remember the story correctly, people were on a bridge, and it just collapsed. Just, bam, gone. I mean, just just disappeared. Both sides, I guess, of the supports gave, gave way, and the entire bridge collapsed. And I don't remember all the details, but one story stuck out to me that my mom had told me about later, she'd heard, was one man interviewed. He came to the wreckage hoping uh, to find his loved ones. And what we learned from the story was that in his, in his car were his wife and I want to say two children. His children, I think it was two. He had, you know, that morning he woke up and he had a, a wife and he had kids and he had just an amazing life, what, what the world says would be a good life. And, and by a fluke accident of a bridge giving out, which rarely, rarely happens, he lost it all in a matter of seconds. And we sit back brokenhearted and say, that is so sad. That is what Naomi went through. She lost it all. And so you go back. Here are some questions people ask. Is it God's fault? Was God punishing them? There's nowhere here we say that God punishes them. But you know, it's interesting. We talked the other day just about decisions we make. Is it possible they died because they were in Moab? I don't know. Again, be very, very careful to add to Scripture what is not there. Well, obviously, they disobeyed God. They went down there. God punished them. We don't know that. They were down there and they died. It's all we know. Be very, very careful to attribute to God acts of things that may not have been his. I mean, we hear, I hear this all the time. You know, a tsunami comes in or a hurricane or something and people die or places are destroyed. God must be angry. Please remember, number one, Satan is the prince and the power of the air. Be very, very careful about this. And two, we know as we get closer to tribulation, natural disasters will come preparing for what the world will experience in tribulation time. And this is not the only time we've had these kind of things throughout life. So I think we've got to be careful. We immediately attribute it to it. God has given us freedom and free will in our, in our world, and he's given Satan a lot of power on this earth. So be careful immediately attributing something to God. Let me, let me say what we do know. Number one, uh, God sometimes does bring things into our life because he tells us that he chastens whom he loves. So if we have done something that deserves chastening, then it's possible that God will bring something into our life for that purpose. So what do I do? Well, acknowledge if I've done something that I've yet to confess to God, or if I've done things to other people that I've yet to get right, and I know it's there, maybe what I need to do is get that right. Call that person, deal with God, get those things right so that I'm right with people and therefore right with God. So maybe that's what I need to do. Let's say, okay, the first one is sometimes God allow, uh, brings things. Sometimes God just allows things to come. Uh, God allows them to come because we live in a, in a sinful world, and so pain comes as part of living, and we're reminded of it living in a sinful world. So we need to recognize that God allows it to come. But please remember, he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Just while God allows us to go through dark times, it does not always mean that he is the author of the dark times. The dark time can be a bad decision on our part. The dark time can just be a part of life. I mean, COVID is not God's punishment on the earth, right? COVID is something God said was going to come. And he's allowed us to go through a rough time in human history. And some of even people we know have lost loved ones over this. So God allows these things to come. So please, I hope we understand those points of view. So maybe God is bringing it. Maybe God allows it. 
But we don't know what's happening. What we do know is that if nothing else, God allowed it to happen. Because God could have said no to this, but God, for whatever reason, allowed these things to happen to Naomi. And so she comes home, she brings Ruth home, they get home, and she says, listen, or, excuse me, Naomi says, listen, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I had been dealt with bitterly. And yes, her life over these past few years have been nothing but bitter. She brings home a highlight of it, a, a, a daughter-in-law, which inevitably was another reminder of her son. So she's got this sweet girl with her, she's come back, she leaves full, comes back empty. I will say, we said this the other day, be very careful in decisions we make. I don't know what would have happened if, she had sta- if they stayed in Israel, but decisions, you know, when you make decisions, be very careful because they will come and God allows us to inherit the consequences of our decisions. So she comes back and she acknowledges the struggle. She acknowledges this. She attributes it to God, whether or not it was all him. What we do know is he allowed it to happen. So she comes back and she's talking to people and she's being honest about the conditions she's in. Now you say, it seems miserable. Why would God allow this? It seems rough. What I want to do is I want to focus on something. We, on this one last thought. We, we can't control what happens often in our life. We can't control what God allows or what God brings. But we can always see that God, God doesn't work out of, out of anger. God doesn't work out of vindication. How dare you do this? God doesn't work that way. If God's bringing something into my life, he's doing to teach me or to get me right with him. If he allows things into my life, he's doing it to develop it. As James says, let patience have her perfect work through trials. So he's got something. He's there with us. And all of this is one interesting thing to see, the last section of verse 22. And and we would see this as kind of a random thing. Well, we know the time. There's more to it than just knowing the time that they came. And it says, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. First of all, this section right here, um, that little phrase, that little truth nugget at the end of this chapter establishes pretty much everything that takes place for the remainder of this book. And it it kind of makes the transition. Now we're home and everything left in Ruth. We, we've got the struggle. We've got the misery. We've got all of this. Now we see the kinsman redeemer. Now we see the grace of God. Now we see all these amazing things happening. The commitment of Ruth to her mother and all these things we're going to look at. And it all hinges off this phrase there at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we see that it's a phrase that sets up the rest of the account. But let me tell you, number two, it proves they're done with famine. The famine's gone. There's grace. There's hope. They left. And one of the reasons they left was the mystery of the land. And now there's hope and there's grace. And everything you see, sometimes we look at the Old Testament, people say, I can't believe God did this or God allowed this. And, And yes, I will say that in the Old Testament, God gives us a lot of detail. And doing that, we get to see history. And a lot of the history is not always easy to read, as it's not always easy to read American history or world history. But if you're, if you're paying attention and studying and looking, instead of focusing on the negative, really the negative part of the story is just God's way of saying human life does this or human decisions result in this. But in every, every scenario, whether it's his getting our attention or us making bad decisions, there's always hope and there's always grace in the story. That is, again, part of the narrative that points back to Jesus, the grace and hope that we see in this passage. Well, I, I hope that this was a help somehow. hope it's an encouragement. Um, next week, we jump on to really kind of the second stage of the story, and I can't wait to get on it Monday. And uh, so I hope you continue to join us. And uh, so we're so glad you joined us on Friday. Uh, we hope you have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy the beautiful weather. Hope to see you Sunday, 10 o'clock here on property or online. Again, 5 o'clock in the evening on property 
or online, I encourage you over the next couple of weeks, invite some of the Easter services. We're going to have Easter egg hunt that morning, Easter services. Um, we're going to have some neat things taking place that morning. And I think just a great time to celebrate Jesus. And uh, so I hope you come and hope you invite some people over the next couple of weeks to join you and join us here in person at 10 o'clock that morning. We love you. Hope you have a great rest of the day.